I didn't know when I was going to be called up. I was hoping I'd had sucked down this halls before I got up here, but so I apologize for that. It probably seemed like my mouth's going. Rah, rah, rah. I got the sickness from James, and uh, <laughs> it's a true story. I'll tell it later. But anyhow, but we have uh, we have Brazilians. We have Brazilians in Portugal, but we have more Brazilians concerned about Portugal, Mozambique, and other countries that speak Portuguese around the world. Matter of fact, we have a missionary Brazilian that's going to Germany, and we had a couple that just went to Japan, and so Brazilians are catching the vision of making disciples of all nations, and, and you guys are a part of that, and I thank you for that. So the question is this from the book of Jonah. Are you involved in God's mission? Are you running from God's mission? Are you running for God's mission? Jonah's an interesting book because it's different from all the other minor prophets. It's more of a narrative and a story, but it's a great book, and it's a fascinating book about the mission See, Israel was called, and when the Mosaic Covenant was given, if you remember in Exodus 19, Israel was told that they were to be the intercessors of the world. They were to be the <laughs> sacerdotes. What's sacerdotes? Uh, the priest. Thank you. Yeah. They're to be the priest of the world. In other words, they are to teach the world about God. So Israel was not supposed to be about Israel alone, but Israel was supposed to be about being a light to the world. Matter of fact, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount looks and in a, a, a place that's not really uh, like the hub of the world called Galilee, and he looks at the Galileans and the Jews, and he looks at them and he says, you are the what? The light of the world. So they had this responsibility, but they forgot, kind of like the church does. Sometimes the church gets so involved with ministries of the church, of edification. We get so involved with, you know, encouraging one another and, and fellowship tables, and, and we forget that one of our biggest purpose on earth is to be a light and to be in, uh, actively involved in evangelism around the world. So when we come to Jonah, the book of Jonah, we see a man that runs from God's mission and then eventually runs for God's mission. And so that's the theme I put in there is this. Are you running from God's mission? Or are you running for God's mission? Chapter 1 is running from God. Chapter 2 is running to God. Chapter 3 is running for God. And chapter 4 is running like God. See that? And you can see that in the text. And we're going to do the whole book, so we're going to fly through this. In chapter 1, my first point would be this. You can't run from God, for he can chase you down. Right? Who can outrun God? Very good. Man, this is an active church. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Jonah tried to run from God. Look at this. God revealed his will for Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So Nineveh, which is about a one-month travel time to the east and north for Jonah at that time, that was God's revealed will for him. It was clear. But we see now in, in verse 3 that Jonah runs from God's will. 
But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the what? No, the presence of the Lord. So here is a prophet, a man of God, one who knows the word, who knows theology, and he's running from God. But can you really run from God? Man, I always try to teach my kids, you can hide it from dad, you can hide it from mom, but you can't hide it from God. You know it? You can't hide from God. And Jonah should have known that, but he decides to run from God's presence. Now, why would he do that? Why would he do such a crazy thing like that, which is impossible to do? But chapter 4, verse 2 gives us a clue. Look there. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. In other words, Jonah did not want the people of Nineveh to repent. He wanted disaster on those people. He wanted those people dead. They were violent people, and you could study the history of the Ninevites, where they were very, very cruel. They, they kind of remind me of what would happen after World War II when we found out what Germany did to the, to the Jews. You know, we were just could not believe you know, what was happening. I believe it was General Eisenhower that said, get me some videotape, nobody's going to believe what I'm seeing. It was just so cruel. And so our attitude against those German soldiers was probably one of, oh, hope he gets the death penalty, right? And so that's the mindset Jonah has here. He's like, oh, I want the Ninevites to get the death penalty. There might be another reason. Turn your Bible to 2 Kings 14.25. 2 Kings. Second Kings 14.25. It's in the context of Jeroboam II, and it says that this king restored the border of Israel from the Bahamas as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant who? Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. So Jonah had told the king... What? He came into the presence of the king of Israel and said, God is going to what? Expand your territory. Is that positive or negative? That's positive, isn't it? So you're going to have more land. You're going to have more riches. You're going to have more opportunity for uh, crops. You're going to own more things. And so he was a popular prophet. Now to preach to your enemy and have them repent would make you what kind of a prophet? An unpopular one. It's like, Jonah, you traitor. Why'd you do that? So those things are playing in the mind of Jonah. And so he is saying, hey, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. I'm running from the will of God, basically, is what he's saying. And that's why he wanted to do it. He did not want to see his popularity be diminished. And he did not want to see his enemies um, 
repent. Jonah tried to run from God, but God chased Jonah down. Turn back to Jonah chapter 1. God is so involved in, in this book of Jonah. It's just awesome to see the sovereignty of God. God is in control of the solar system. He hurled, in verse 4, a great wind. I mean, he's in control of the wind. Do you believe that? I mean, God is so in control of the wind. Listen to what happened to me last furlough I was on in the States. We were trying to research for uh, colleges, and we're driving down the road, and I'm not being a very prudent father. I didn't check the weather, and the weather started turning really bad in, in eastern Ohio, and, uh, and I, all of a sudden, you know, it kicks on that tornado spotted in, where was it? Zanesville, Ohio. And I'm like, where are we at? So I pull into a gas station. And I say, hey, man, where are we at? Zanesville, Ohio. <laughs> I have never had my legs lock up like in Zanesville, Ohio. I thought I couldn't walk. We all were in this, in this gas station's girls' bathroom because it was the most center spot to be. I mean, right after I asked where we were at, the, the manager says, Everybody to the bathroom. And I mean, so we're all in there with these truck drivers and families, and we're, we're bending over, and I'm thinking, okay, this is how I go. <laughs> I get to watch Juliana zapped up, James zapped up, Crystal zapped up, and me zapped up with a tornado, and then dying somehow during the travel, and then being zapped up to heaven. But then as I was laying, sitting there, I was thinking, why am I so nervous? You know, I, I know the Lord. I shouldn't be nervous at all. I know who is in control of everything. So I just kept praying, and the sirens went off, and everything was clear. Found out that the tornado was coming. It split and went around us. And I, Juliana and I played with, the, uh, joking with each other and said, whose prayer did God respond to? <laughs> Yours or mine? And then we arrived at my uncle's house, who just passed away Monday, a godly man, served the Lord all his life, 80 years old, Larry Lipka. And Uncle Larry looks at me and says, hey, for some reason I was praying for you during the afternoon the other, yesterday. And I went, okay, it was not my prayer, nor Juliana's, it was Uncle Larry's prayer. But who is in control of the, the wind, the solar system? Who's in control? God. God's in control, and he's using it to chase down his disobedient prophet. In verse 4, it says that that wind created a storm, a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. And God is in control of the storms. He uses it for his purpose. I see it in later in the verse 6 and verse 7 through 16 that God is in control over the sailors because the sailors kind of rebuke Jonah. Look at uh, verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean that you're a sleeper? You're a sleeper. Rise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so that we may not perish. So here's the, the captain asking questions, pivotal questions, and, and rebuking the man of God. Verse 7 and on, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Listen to the testimony of Jonah. This evil... That's come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on who? Jonah. Is God in control of the lots? You better believe it. Then they said to him, tell us on 
whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the, and this probably made them all shake, the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempest against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for the man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Wow. Have you ever been rebuked by an unsaved people? I have. I have seen unsaved people act better than saved people. Unsaved Brazilians act more righteous, if they could, than the Christian guy. Sometimes you hear uh, waitresses in America say the worst people to wait on are who? Christians, because they're the worst tippers. Yeah. I've tried to correct that with your giving. No, I'm joking. (laughs) But I do. I remember uh, Pastor Adam working with me in uh, in Aracaju, and he was buying a chicken, and he was trying to, he's saying, hey, what's the lowest price you can give? And the lady was getting burdened down, and she said, all right, I'll give it to you for 20 reais. And he said, I'll give you 40. And she was like, what? He says, yeah. Because sometimes we always try to get the money down, and I thought today I'd love to give you a little extra because Jesus is so wonderful and God is good. She says, where's your church? <laughs> now, that's not the right motive. Go to church for money, right? Because there's a lot of churches like that. But what I thought was interesting was that he was just doing a little step extra of love to try to grab the attention to share the gospel. But unsaved sometimes rebuke us, and they did. The crew rebuked Jonah. But Jonah, instead of doing God's will, said, hey, I just want to end it. You know, I've heard on the radio, and my brother actually committed suicide, and people always ask, if you commit suicide, do you go to hell? Have you heard that? Yeah. And in Brazil, the Brazilians believe you commit suicide, you go straight to hell. And I said, well, you give me a verse and a text, and I'll believe it. And it's, yeah, you just can't find it. There's not a verse and text that says, commit suicide, you go straight to hell. And uh, now, a Christian that commits suicide, is he worse than a Christian that commits adultery? And then kills somebody? I don't think so. Is it possible to commit adultery as a Christian? Yeah. Is it possible to kill someone as a Christian? Yeah, it is. But when you kill yourself as a Christian, you leave everybody in doubt. You know it? You say, well, I knew the Lord, but I'm not sure, you know, because he killed himself. 
But it seems like Jonah wanted to say, end it all. I don't think he was saying, throw me in the water because I love to do the back, so, you know, back, what do you call that? Backstroke. backstroke. Thank you. I was thinking backsplash. I'm like, it's not backsplash, back, backstroke. <laughs> no, he was thinking, end it all. But God is so sovereign, isn't he? Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a sperm whale, maybe, a huge shark, maybe. The text says, and the Lord appointed what? A great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God is so sovereign. Jonah says, I'm going to flee from God's will and his presence <clears throat> that I'm heading to the opposite direction and, and, and probably won't bother me. And God sends the wind and the, and the storm and, and the crew and the captain. And then he says, no, just, just throw me in the water. Let's end it here. And he gets thrown into the water. And what's God do? No, it's not ending here. Swallows. And surviving. Wow. God is so sovereign. I know some people in Brazil that they look like they're trying to die too by the, all the salt that they eat and, and the, temp, you know, the uh, high blood pressure they have. There's a guy named uh, Jose Val. Um, he looks like he's about seven months pregnant from when he drank beer all the time. He, uh, when he used to just drink beer and he has a beer belly, he can't get rid of. And uh, when he got saved, he never touched a drop again. But his be belly remained and his health was poor. And he several times had been to the hospital about high blood pressure and he's older. And his wife, <laughs> I went to his home to see how he's doing. And I had a meal. And I... I uh, I got sick. I mean, how do you say that? I started feeling high blood pressure from the, so much salt that she put in the food. I thought, man, she's trying to kill him, and he doesn't even have any money to give to her when, she die, when he dies. <laughs> but, but he has not died yet, and I'm not trying to kill him, but I'm just amazed at, you know, in your mind you think, oh, he's going to be gone in a year, and it's been 12 years. And so you only die when God really wants you to, right? I mean, it's appointed for man to die once. And so here is Jonah thinking he's going to die, and God says, not on my watch, not yet. So can you run from God? No. You can't run from God, for he can chase you down. He can chase you down with a big sea creature. <laughs> I do not want that. So there in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the Mediterranean, we see chapter 2, verse 1, then Jonah did what? Prayed to the Lord. So he runs to God, running to God in prayer, for he is everywhere. Look at verse 1 through 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. How many people can say that? Saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of shale I cried, and you heard my voice. Let me ask you a question. What does God have to do to get your attention to pray? What does God have to do to get you to be praying faithfully to him? In the utter darkness, Jonah finds himself alive, and he does the only thing that he should have done, and that is go to God in prayer. And I think, man, what does God have to do to get me to pray I've been in uh, caves with Dave Krim. Some of you know Dave Krim, Super Dave, we call him in the countryside. And uh, we went way back in, the, in a Missouri cave, 
we got to this one great room and, and we turned off all the flashlights. You could not see your hand. I mean, it was that dark. It was utter darkness. I don't know how dark it was in the belly of the fish at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, but I got a feeling there was no light. And in that utter dark darkness, God gets Jonah's attention. At the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea, God is there. God is ready. He said it in verse 2, and you heard my voice. My daughter uh, always wanted to go to a castle. And so we, as a family, we tried to do, do like a, a, a special trip for when you graduate from high school. And so she's graduated from high school and wants to see a castle. Not too many castles in Brazil, not too many castles in the United States. So I was just for fun in Brazil last year. I looked up, I wonder how much it costs to fly to the United States via uh, London. And it was only $180 extra. And I said, all right, man, we're going to save our money. And we're going to have no birthday gifts and no Christmas gifts. And we're going to try to go to a castle in London. And so we did. We just, uh, that's why it took us so long to get to the States. And that's how I got my cold from James. And, and, but, uh, but one of those castles is called Hampton Court. I don't know if you ever heard of it. And I don't know if you ever toured it. Just amazing uh, palace. And, and, and in the Hampton Court, there's a... There's a huge hallway that the nobles of the land would sit and wait for the king to pass through. And, and so the, what would happen is the king would go from one room to the next room. And as he walked, the nobles would bow and have their petition on their paper and not look at the king. But they were hoping as the king goes by that they would get their paper grabbed and answered. Listen. We, as the children of God, don't have to be like the nobles of the land of England of the old. We don't have to sit in the, court, uh, the hallway and hoping and praying that the king will grab our petition. We have a God who loves to hear our cares, don't we? And he is just waiting to hear it from us. And he wants us to come to him. He wants us to come boldly. He wants us to come confidently to his presence, for he cares for us. What does God have to do? To get you to pray. Let's just read the prayer real fast. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed up uh, upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah's prayer, we see a feeling of hopelessness as he's being drowning, as he's drowning, but a, a strong sense of faith as he says, I know that uh, I will see the holy temple. He says that the Lord is hearing me. He's bringing me up from the pit. I mean, we see a, a, a prayer of, of, of feelings and faith. Let me encourage you. It's great to you 
to talk to God about your feelings of weakness. It's really good, and I think it's healthy. But it's not good and healthy if you stop there. You know what I mean? If you just say, oh, man, things are tough, and finances are tough, and COVID hit, and this sickness hit. I don't know what's going on. I'm so at a loss. And you stop there. And I think that's a mistake. What we should do is do like the prophet and like others in the Psalms do. They talk to God and they say, where are you, old Lord? Where are you? I feel like you're so far from me. But he didn't stop there. That was his feelings. He felt that way. But the fact and the faith was, but I know you are here with me and you care for me. There's times, folks, we can't trust our feelings, can we? We have to trust our faith in a holy God who is truly there always. He's everywhere, and he cares for us. But it's not wrong to express your feelings because I've had missionaries say that to me before. It's a terrible thing for you to get on the mission field and complain. You can't tell God that you're feeling, what you're feeling. You just need to trust him. And I told my wife early on in Brazil, I said, hey, listen, babe, you're missing the United States. You're missing uh, a Kit Kat or whatever it is that we're missing, a candy bar or I said, it's okay to miss those things, but don't end there. Come back and say, God has brought us here for a reason, and we can trust him, and we can worship him and give thanks to him, as he said here in Jonah chapter 2. So we've seen so far that you can't run from God, for he can chase you down. Run to God in prayer, for he is everywhere. And now chapter 3 is running for God. Great things happen when you obey God's mission for your life. Do you believe that? Do you believe great things happen? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So the message is revealed to Jonah again. What grace, what opportunity. God is so gracious to us, isn't he? When we disobey and we don't evangelize like we should. I was preaching in a church in Italy uh, last month. And one of the elders of the church came up to me and said, my cousin just passed away and I never shared the gospel. Or I didn't share the gospel like I should have. And I thought, man, right spirit, broken and hurting. Because he's right, he messed up. But is God done with him? No. There's other cousins to reach. There's other people to reach. I mean, I've missed out on opportunities. I thought to myself as a missionary... I said, I'm going to witness to this guy later. And later never came. And I felt the, the, the crush of, of not fulfilling what God had called me to do. He called me to do his mission. What's the mission? Exalt God, edify the brothers, and evangelize the lost. Make disciples of all nations. But God gave a second chance. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for God's graciousness in my life and to giving me another chance to do the work, do the mission that he has called us to. The reality of the mission, look at verse 3 and 4. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh. Remember, it's a month travel by foot. According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Now, that probably didn't mean that it was 75 miles long, but it probably meant that the, this, the inner city was about eight miles long, and, uh, and then the outer walls encumbered probably other small cities that depended upon it. And so it took Jonah probably three days to stop in each pivotal area in the city and preach the message of God. Nineveh was a huge city of the time. 
Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the reality of the mission. The result of the mission is this, verse 5 through 10. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Listen, listen. We have to get the seed out of the bag for people to have faith in God. For people to repent and trust in God, there has to be the teaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are responsible to teach that good news. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for what? Salvation. We have to believe that. And Romans 10 says, without hearing, they cannot what? They can't believe. And so how are they going to hear? Faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of Christ. That phrase, by hearing the word of Christ, is a hearing that comes from a verbal communication from someone else. We are responsible. We have the greatest privilege of announcing the greatest news that's possible. It is not that Patrick Mahomes just won another Super Bowl. Though God has used that for me to reach Brazilians. I'm in Aracaju wearing a Chiefs shirt, and someone comes up to me and goes, oh, Patrick Mahomes. I said, no, I'm not him. You know. <laughs> and I can't believe Brazilians are interested in American football. And so what do I do? I go, yeah, football's great. Now, we, I talk about football a little bit, but I get to the main news. It's not the Super Bowl. It's the super God, the supernatural, and the gospel. And what you see here is jo- uh, Jonah goes and he preaches, in 40 days you're going to be destroyed if you don't repent. And after he preaches, what do we see the people doing? Repenting. You see the process? There's no repenting before the preaching. Got to have the preaching to have a proper repenting. There's got to be some kind of revelation of God. And that revelation, God has given us the privilege to share with others. The written word, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We got to get the, back, the, the word out. Sometimes people ask me, I had someone ask me, um, how do I witness to my best friend? How do I turn the conversation into the gospel? I said, oh, it's real easy. This is going to blow your mind. I've got a PhD in it, practically. You take your friend out and you say, the whole reason I'm bringing you out is because I want to share the greatest news. Done. Wasn't that amazing? And I gave it to you for free. It was cheap. Wasn't that amazing? But sometimes we make it complicated. We think, oh, we've got to be a, a special speaker. We've got to have a gifts and abilities. No, God just wants to use you, your vocabulary, to communicate the greatest gospel there is. Isn't that wonderful? The word has to get out. So they called on the Lord, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. What is he doing? He's repenting. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast. I mean, he wants the sheep and everything to repent. Imagine that. That might answer, do all dogs go to heaven, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast might be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, repentance here, and from the violence that is in his hands. 
So even the king recognized that he was a violent people person. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Listen, Jesus says they repented. Jonah chapter 3 says they repented. I believe they repented. And you say, how many? I believe the whole city. I believe that God has the power to make a whole city saved. Do you believe that? There's a guy named Brother Jordan. He's a pastor. I call him Brother Jordan. And he was an evangelist. I mean, he was a go-getter from out here, out there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And, and his church had grown to about 2,200 members. And someone looked at him and said, Brother Jordan, when are you going to be satisfied? And he says, I'll be satisfied when we put a roof over the whole city of Lancaster. That's when I will be satisfied. And I thought, wow, that is the right spirit. Can God save a city? Yes. Can God save Lawrence? Even with KU here? <laughs> he could do that, couldn't he? He really can. And God seems to have saved Nineveh. Great things happen when you obey the mission for your life. Now, I'm not saying that, that as a missionary, I experienced thousands of Brazilians coming to know the Lord. But what I do get to experience by the grace of God is I get to see a young man coming to our youth group. Now, you have to know youth group in Brazil means 12 to married. Okay, so I could have a 28-year-old doctor in my youth group, and I've had that before. But this young man, his name is Rafael. Is that right, honey? Okay, because <laughs> I kept calling him Diego. And he's like, my name's not Diego, Pastor, it's Rafael. Okay, Rafael. <laughs> and Rafael, uh, and I thought Rafael was coming because he was after my daughter. You know what I mean? Wrong motive. Give him a ride home, told him about how he's going to hell, and uh, <laughs> told him he's a sinner, told him that God's watching everything he does, and uh, he didn't have a Bible, and so I gave him a Bible, and he did the right thing. He says, where do I start? I said, the book of John. I said, Rafael, have you written text a girlfriend? Yeah. Have you ever texted your mother? Yeah. Are they different letters? He said, oh, yeah. I said, that's how the Bible is. Son of Solomon is a little different than the book of Acts, right? And uh, I know some people have tried to make it the same thing, but contextually they're wrong. And, uh, and so John is a book that's written so that you may believe and know that you're saved through Jesus Christ. And so I said, that'd be a good book to start. So I gave him that book on Sunday, uh, or the Bible on Sunday. On Saturday at youth group, we have youth group every Saturday. And we're playing ping pong. And he's asking me questions. He says, Pastor, can I ask you a question about what I read? I said, sure. And he asked a question about John chapter 3. And then he asked a question about John chapter 8. And then he asked questions about John chapter, <coughs> later chapters. <coughs> I said, did you read the whole book of John? And he said, yes, I did. And I went, hmm, sounds like God's working, right? And so God's working in this guy. And before we left Brazil, he shared with me the wonderful news. He said, I am so happy 
but I have found a solid basis of what I can convert to and trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Is that great? Isn't that great? I know it's not a whole city, but it's one young man not going to hell and now going to heaven. And I praise God that I get to be a part of that because there's nothing special about Roger, I guarantee you that. It's all about God, but I get to see the great things because I was running for God. And Jonah got to see those great things as he ran for God. But then we get to chapter 4, and we see a rebuke because God says, you need to run like me. I put chapter 4 as this. We are more concerned for our comfort than the souls of man. Let me say that again. Jonah chapter 4. We are more concerned for our comfort than the souls of man. It is proven that Christianity spends more on Coca-Cola and coffee than missions. And I just had coffee this morning, too. But the truth is, is that we spend more money on Coca-Cola and coffee than missions. So if we took the money that we spent on Coca-Cola and coffee and gave it to missions, there would never lack money for the mission work worldwide. We are more concerned for our comfort than the souls of man. Jonah's complaint, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Man, what a case this guy is. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I know that you're a gracious God. I don't know why I'm speaking southern. And merciful, (laughs) slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, listen to what he says. Therefore now, O Lord, what? Take my life. What a nutcase. Man, this guy's messed up. For it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And we don't hear the response. You know, I I try to teach my kids scripture. Philippians 2.14. All the little kids in here, turn your Bibles to Philippians 2.14. All right, little kids? And I want a little kid. When I say little, you're 11 years old and younger. Okay, I'm 52 now, so everybody under 50 is little. All right. And, uh, and I want a little kid to read Philippians 2.14 for us. Because we as adults need to hear this. Philippians 2.14. Did you find it? Go ahead and read it, big guy. Yeah. Wow. Did you complain to mom this morning about having to go to church? Good job. You complain about, you mumble about the food. You mumble about losing a tennis match. Because I play a lot of tennis, and when I lose, I don't like to lose. And I, but then I go, okay. You mumble about anything? How about this? Do you mumble that terrorists got saved and are going to heaven? I remember when I was at Calvary Bible College preparing for the ministry, the uh, United States had a problem with, uh, what was that guy's name, Qaddafi? I think his name was Qaddafi. And 
I was getting up early in the morning to pray with a guy named Dellen Fowler, a godly man working in Peru to this day. And, um, and we're praying, and he mentioned Gaddafi, and I went, yeah, I hope we nail him. You know, I had that good American blood in me. We got to nail this guy. This guy's a terrorist. And Delwin, in his sweet, gentle manner, says, and Lord, we pray for Gaddafi's salvation. And I went, yeah, that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's right. <laughs> and I just got rebuked by his prayer. And I was like, wow, why do I not do that? You know, in my mind, I'm mean, just human nature. You're a terrorist. You deserve to die and go to hell forever. But we, as self-righteous people, deserve to go to hell as well. Wow. Jonah's complaint, he complained, we're to do everything without murmuring. It's interesting, God still comforts Jonah in in a little way because he's going to teach him a lesson. God's going to correct him. Look at this, verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would happen become of the city. So now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be, make shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. You know, there's plants that grow fast in other parts of the world, but I believe this is a supernatural growth, okay? Some people say, well, there's a certain plant that grows fast, but I believe it's God making this plant grow fast. So Jonah was exceedingly, listen to this, verse 6. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. In the Hebrew, it's greatly. I mean, there's been a lot of great things. There's been great sea creatures, great wind, great, great city. And then great joy on his heart, right? And what is he exceedingly glad about? He's exceedingly glad that he's getting comfort, air condition, as he watches what's going to happen in Nineveh. But when the dawn came upon the next day, God appointed a worm. Look at that. God's so in control of everything. He's in control of the worm. Can you believe that? And uh, I believe it. Uh, as I was getting ready to go to Mozambique, Africa, to teach for three weeks, I had two different people tell me, don't go, Pastor. I knew someone that, got, that went there, got bit by a mosquito, got malaria, and died. And I went, well, listen, out of the billions of mosquitoes in the world, if a mosquito bites me and it's got a disease in it to kill me, I think it's my time, right? Because I believe God is in control of even the worm, even the worm. And the worm attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun rose, God beat down. Oh, I'm sorry. God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might what? Die. Man, this guy's messed up. And said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. I believe what God is doing here is he's rebuking, he's teaching, he's correcting Jonah and using this book to correct the attitude of Israel about Gentiles, about people that they think are less than them. And it's interesting, 120,000 persons, people try to figure out how many people are in the city. Scholars say it's about 600,000. There could have been more, could have been less. Persons that don't know their left from right, probably talking about 
uh, little babies. And, you know, it's funny, I have two grandkids, and, and we were watching them while Joshua was celebrating five years of marriage, and, and, uh, and I accidentally called Esther, who's three. I accidentally called her. I said, hey, baby. And she looks at me and goes, Grandpa, babies can't talk. <laughs> and I can talk. And I went, oh, I'm sorry, you're not a baby. Yeah. But little guys can't know their left from the right. Do they? And I know there's some old people that can't do that either. I've, I've been hearing that. But, but I believe here it's talking about babies. In other words, God is saying, listen, these people made in my image, even babies, and I have pity on them, compassion. Isn't that encouraging? I'm encouraged by that because I know how terrible the world is. And I know how terrible I am. And I am so thankful for God's compassion on my life. And I need to remember that and say, okay, God has compassion even on the worst person that I can imagine. We are more concerned for our comfort than the souls of men. Well, The mission's clear for us as a church, just as much as it was for Israel. Israel was to be a light to the world. Israel was to be concerned about the Gentiles. And we are given the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to make disciples of what? Of all nations. Listen, I don't know what your specific mission is. I know the general mission for the church. But I don't know where you live. I don't know what, uh, by who, what's that? Neighborhood. I don't know what neighborhood you live in. But I know this, God has not put you in that neighborhood so that you can be comfortable. Did you catch that as Americans? Because we do that. And I'm not against comfort. I like air conditioning. I like, uh, I got one of those uh, massage guns. I like that comfort that it gives me. I like to visit George <laughs> and get a, a chiropractic adjustment because it makes me feel good. You know, I like comfort. But when comfort controls and keeps me from the mission, I'm in disobedience. I'm messed up. God has called us to be a part of his mission. And that may be you be a doctor with a missionary in Mozambique, Africa. Could you imagine that? I mean, I have right now a Brazilian. His name is Haniel. You pray for Haniel. He is finishing up a computer degree, and he's already told his mom, I'm going in September, thanks to you guys, to Portugal to see where God would have him fit in to help the missionary in Portugal because he says, I want to be a part of the mission of church planning in Portugal. That's exciting to me. That should be exciting to you. What is our mission? What, who is it across the street that we need to talk to? Who is it that we buy the groceries from? Who is it that, I know we don't do this in, in Brazil, we, uh, we don't pump our own gas. Our gas is it's full service, so we, we get to talk to people as they pump our gas. But just think of how God could use you and how he wants to use you and be a part of his mission. Don't run from it. So the question is again, are you running from God's mission in your life? Are you running for God's mission? Let's pray.